Welcome to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics, the law, and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyal Law School Professor Jessica Levinson. I'm joined by the show's co-host and producer, Joe Armstrong, and we are recording this episode the day after the historic second impeachment of President Donald J. Trump, the only president in our nation's history to be impeached twice. We're going to walk through pretty briefly what this means, what the legal standards are, and what we're going to expect next, both legally and politically. So, Joe, do you want to talk to us a little bit about the nuts and bolts of what happened? What does the article of impeachment actually say and what was the vote? Yes, Jessica, this was the most bipartisan impeachment in history. Ten Republicans joined 222 Democrats for a total vote of 232 to 197, and simple math dictates that zero Democrats voted against this. Worthy of note here is the speed at which this took place exactly one week after last week's deadly insurrection at the Capitol. Also noteworthy is that Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi presided over both of Donald Trump's impeachment trials in the House of Representatives and that she wore the same dress both times, 393 days between the two impeachment votes in the House. Now, the Senate took longer to acquit last time, and I can't help but wonder if Speaker Pelosi has what she calls her impeachment dress, just like RBG had her dissent caller. Now, it was a single article of impeachment charging Donald Trump with incitement of insurrection. The single article did outline his conduct that warranted impeachment, saying that the president repeatedly issued false statements about unsubstantiated examples of widespread fraud, which included a quote from his January 6th speech in the ellipse near the White House, during which he, quote, willfully made statements that in context encouraged and foreseeably resulted in lawless action at the Capitol, such as, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. So, Jessica, what is incitement and why is that worthy of impeachment? Yeah, incitement is one of the exceptions to the First Amendment. So as everybody who's listening to this podcast knows, under the First Amendment, it essentially says, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. But of course, we know that no law doesn't really mean no law. And that in fact, we do infringe on the First Amendment. Think about obscenity, which is limited. Think about hate speech, which in some cases is limited. And think about incitement. So incitement basically has three requirements. Advocacy that's intended to spur lawlessness encouraging law-breaking that must be imminent, not later, not in a few days or a few weeks, but right now imminent. And finally, that advocacy, that speech, is likely to cause imminent law-breaking. And so it is a fairly narrow exception, but if you look at what President Trump said in that speech, I actually think it does fall within incitement. And again, a lot of people think, well, you know, this person gave a speech and it really fired up his base or it really fired up the audience and they might have taken it to mean or some people as a result later did X, Y, Z. That's not incitement. Incitement, again, are these, it's fairly narrow. It's these three requirements. You have to be saying, break the law right now. And it has to, again, be really pretty specific. It can't just be a general, gosh, it'd be great if we did something about this. Now, Joe, you asked me, does this rise to the level of impeachable offenses? A couple of things. As people know, you don't have to actually commit a crime in order to have committed an impeachable offense. Impeachment is high crimes and misdemeanors. 
Now, the other thing is, yes, I do think that incitement is sufficient for impeachment because think about what impeachment was meant to guard against. In the Federalist Papers, we talk about public men engaging in public crimes, which is another way of saying somebody who holds a position of trust, abusing that trust, and abusing it in a way that harms constituents, that harms the electorate. And that's what we have here. When the president of the United States is basically saying, go stage a coup, go overthrow the Capitol, that is a public offense by a public man. Contrast this with what if the president, for instance, drove drunk. I'm not saying that's not a serious offense, but that's not a public offense. It's not the type of thing that is specific to the president of the United States having a certain power over people and a certain harm that can result as a consequence of that power. Now, Jessica, what else should we know about what's happening in the House of Representatives? Well, I think what we should know about what's happening in the House is that everything's happening very quickly. And in part, that's because of the substance. Think back to the first impeachment where it was kind of complicated to explain exactly why the president was being impeached. I'm not saying it didn't make sense, but it took a couple of sentences. And you had to say, well, there was this phone call, and the president said this, and that means that this would happen as a result, and that's not proper because, in this case, it's one sentence. The president of the United States gave a speech. It incited violence. It incited a riot, period. In this case, it's just one sentence. The president of the United States gave a speech, and it incited violence. It incited a riot in the Capitol. The other thing that I want people to know about what's happening in the House is that if you think about impeachment like a criminal case, the House is basically just saying to the Senate, there's enough there to go forward. And so I know people have been complaining, well, this is going so quickly, and there's no due process. A couple things. One, Due process is something we're really worried about in a court of law. Or if we are worried about impeachment, it's what happens in the Senate. The House is just saying, okay, Senate, go forward. There's enough there to hold a trial. Now, Jessica, as you said, this is only the first step in the House. As we recall, the House voted to impeach Donald Trump once before in December of 2019, but he was later acquitted in the Senate trial. What are the logistics of what's going to happen in the Senate trial this time around? Well, the Senate trial is going to look somewhat familiar in the sense that whenever the president of the United States is impeached, it's the chief justice of the United States, John Roberts, who one can imagine is extremely unexcited to have this role yet again, who presides over the trial. We know from last time around that it's pretty much of a ceremonial task. He's not an active judge in this particular situation. And what we're really going to look at for, frankly, I think is more political than legal. So what has to happen in the Senate in order to have a conviction, as we all know, two-thirds of the Senate has to vote to convict. That means 67 senators, and that means if all of the Democrats vote to convict, you need to get 17 Republican senators. Then what happens is after you convict, there's a separate vote that essentially gives out the sentence, that gives out the punishment. There's basically two different punishments you can have as a result of impeachment. One is removal from office. That's off the table because by the time the trial even starts, the president will be removed from office by virtue of the fact that his term will have expired. The other sentence or punishment 
basically says, you don't get to run for higher office again. And that's part of why we're even engaging in this impeachment right now, because that would be a big deal. It would prevent President Trump from being able to suck up all the oxygen in the room and saying, I'm going to run for office in 2024. I'm going to be your next president, going around the country, raising money for four years, giving speeches as if he's raising money for a presidential campaign for four years. And it would clear the field for Republicans. So logistically, that's what we're looking at, two different votes. Now, Donald Trump is the lamest of lame ducks at this point. Joe Biden will be inaugurated next Wednesday on January 20th, as prescribed in the Constitution. So it's a matter of days at this point. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell sent a letter to his colleagues on Wednesday saying that he has not ruled out voting to convict Donald Trump in a trial. But as you said, he also said the trial shouldn't begin until after Trump leaves office. This is an about face from what McConnell said about the first impeachment trial, which he called a charade. Is there any point, Jessica, in this late stage of the game in an impeachment trial this late in a presidential term? I think there is for basically two reasons. And I just talked about one of them, which is if the president is convicted, and if the Senate decides by a simple majority to hand down a sentence that says you don't get to run for office again, that is a real concrete consequence. The other thing is, and this is a little bit of a law professor speaking, but if we have constitutional provisions that describe when a president should be removed, if we have constitutional provisions that prescribe a process for impeachment and what the standard is, then when the moment arises, you use those provisions. You don't say, well, it's not politically expedient or it's so late in the day or the, you know, the timing is so inconvenient. You use the provision because the Constitution still has to mean something. So those are really my two reasons for why I think it does make sense to go forward in this case. And then, Joe, you mentioned Mitch McConnell and how he really has changed his tune, I think. Now, I have two things to say about this. One, I feel a little foolish that I didn't realize this before because right, right before the insurrection, like 10 minutes before the insurrection, Mitch McConnell got on the floor of the joint session and he gave a speech that totally scorched President Trump's arguments about the post-election litigation. He said, the election's over. It's president-elect Biden. Enough is enough. And so you saw him moving away from the president. You saw him, I think, worried about presiding over a party with massive institutional weakness. And I suspect he's angry at the president for making him minority leader, thinking that they lost the Georgia seats because of the president. The other thing is, if Mitch McConnell either votes to convict or signals to his party there's going to be no negative repercussions for voting to convict. That could be just the warm embrace that at least 16 or 17 other senators need in order to vote to convict. I don't think it's a done deal, but I've completely changed my mind over the last few days just based on Mitch McConnell's comments as to whether conviction is a possibility. So, Jessica, what appreciably will change if Donald Trump ends up, even at the end of his term, gets convicted in the Senate? So if President Trump is convicted in the Senate, which, again, takes a two-thirds vote, and then he is sentenced, which only takes a simple majority vote, and the sentence is that he cannot run for office again, 
The consequence is basically the Republican field is cleared for 2024. He doesn't get to fly around the country holding rallies, raising money. And I suspect that some senators might feel torn about this because on the one hand, a lot of them probably want to run for office. See, for example, Ted Cruz. See, for example, Josh Howley. But they're maybe worried about voting to convict because they don't want to lose President Trump's base voters. And it will be really interesting to see what that group of senators who probably want the support of the Trump voters, but similarly also want him cleared from the field, will do. But again, let's emphasize, if President Trump can't either run or claim he's running for president in 2024, that could be a game changer just in the next four years in terms of what we focus on as a country. And that's, again, the big practical consequence of convicting him in the Senate, if they do that, and then if they take that separate vote to sentence him, essentially to prohibit him from running for office again. Now, Jessica, my final thoughts on this, I am not a big fan of Donald Trump. I've made that abundantly clear. It is largely based not on party, but on the rule of law. I take no joy in this because at this point, three presidents have been impeached in U.S. history, Andrew Johnson in 1868, Bill Clinton in 1998, and Donald Trump in 2019, and then again just yesterday. This means that three of the four impeachments ever have taken place in my lifetime, really only in the last 23 years. People talk about the divisiveness of our government, but it seems to me that it has spilled over into our society at large. So, Jessica, where is this going? What are your predictions for what will happen in the Senate? How clear is your crystal ball on this one? Very, very muddy and or opaque. I really don't know. We're not truly waiting for more information here because we all saw the events play out in real time. And this is a lesson in people are affected by things that come to their homes, that they're directly affected by. Now, a lot of what President Trump has done over the last four years might have felt somewhat abstract to members of Congress or the Senate, but they were attacked basically in their own home, in the people's house, in the Capitol. And that's when they finally decided to act. Now, what's going to happen? I really don't know if there will be a conviction. I suspect it will be close. I hope that we don't start using impeachment as a political weapon. I hope that it continues to be, as you said, very rare. I don't want to have a ton of special episodes about impeachment. It's not good for the country. You have to use it when the moment arises, but let's hope the moment doesn't arise again. The last thing I want to say is, Joe, I really was very – you totally shocked me. I did not think you were going to notice that Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi wore the same – outfit for both impeachments that she, in fact, does have her impeachment suit, a lovely suit with a simple gold necklace. You always surprise me, Mr. Armstrong. And on that note, I'm going to thank the listeners. We are getting some great response from all of you. Please listen, rate, review. We read everything that you send us. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica, Joe on Twitter at In-Depth Day, the show on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod and Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. And we wish you a restful few days and we will talk to you before the inauguration. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay tuned.